Welcome to Unorthodox, a weekly podcast from Tablet Magazine. And it really is weekly. Like, we have not taken a week off. We've scarcely taken a week off. I'm Mark Oppenheimer, joined, as ever, by senior writer Leah Leibowitz. Hello, hello. Good morning. And deputy editor Stephanie Butnick. Hi. Hi. Later in the show, we'll be talking with Orthodox Jewish sex therapist Batsheva Marcus. And our guest Gentile is Mallory Ortberg, daughter of an evangelical megachurch pastor and now advice columnist for Slate.com. But first, are we recovered from last night? We, the three of us went out drinking last night. Are we recovered? Are we back? I mean, I like literally just walked in. I mean, I haven't, I haven't <laughs> stopped drinking since like 98, so I'm good. <laughs> Did you go to sleep last night, Leo? Not really, no. no. Okay. Just drank my way through. <laughs> <laughs> It's the That's, only way to do this podcast. You just, I can't do it otherwise. Just got to rage on through the night. Yeah, yeah. A little news of the Jews. Nordstrom, where I don't think I've ever bought anything, but I hear it's a big store. They have a great return policy. I've heard that they have a great return policy. Nordstrom was forced to pull a sweater from its holiday line, a sweater that some deemed offensive. It was a women's sweater, and it showed a menorah and had the inscription Chai Maintenance, with Chai spelled C-H-A-I, Hebrew for life. Get it? Instead of High Maintenance playing on the Jewish-American princess stereotype. It's high maintenance, like the Jewish-American princess stereotype, but with a little Hebrew word in it. Um, so here's the thing. As I think all of you know, I'm, I'm not easily offended, right? Like, I, I'm not it's someone... something great about you. Thank you. I, I, you know, I don't take umbrage We'll try our best. Easily. Except when someone's like late to record a podcast. Yes. Yeah, then you take umbrage. <laughs> you take a lot of umbrage. Well, when she's late and she walks in with her like triple decaf soy capu, then it's like maybe you could have been on time. But here's the thing about Jap humor. Um, it's really my least favorite kind of humor. Like it's not for me to be. I Well, first of all, I am a little bit offended. I'm related to some Jewesses. I love them. I don't think any of the ones I know are high or high maintenance. I don't think they're materialistic. I don't. Th- all of those stereotypes, I think, just are untrue. And worse, I think they're dated. And of course, what makes humor plausible, what gets you the past to be somewhat offensive is if you're at least funny and making a point. So Here's the I thing, just you never know, it's found not Jap jokes funny. I it's not think... offensive because it's a Jap joke. It's offensive because it's a pun. Oh, it's the worst. <laughs> Why are you punning? You're an adult. You can also, do better like, than you're that. You're Nordstrom's. Like, this is, okay, this is this is this hits on a lot of my like really principal points right now. You're, it triggers. Jews don't it, get Christmas sweaters. It triggers you in so it many ways. Me, yes, I don't think they're saying that Jewish women are high maintenance. I think they just like someone was like, oh hi, it sounds like hi. What high can we say? Like, I think it was a really really poor tasteless joke, but like it was just a bad joke. And I don't think, I just like it's so stupid. But we don't get hon- like we do not get to have Christmas sweaters. That is, we have to be okay with that. I think high maintenance is like a secret unit in the Israeli army. <laughs> it's like uh, Tzachi, you do high maintenance. You say eighteen times Shema before we go to war with Amalek. I mean, it sounds like right. something, right? Like it some does. Top secret. Well, you would know. I would know. It's like the, the high maintenance, the secret and, dolphins and the... <laughs> that we trade to go spy in exactly. enemy waters yeah. from episode three of. Plus, really, if, if 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 you're going to do puns, you could do much better yeah, than that. Yeah, like. What do you got for us? Well, Leo? you could. I, I don't know. You know, I, I don't like puns, but like everyone has uh, merchandise now for the new Star Wars movie. So you could do the same thing. You could uh, riff on Jewy Jewbaka. Jewbaka. <laughs> and instead of that, the weapons thing, he has like a fill-in thing wrapped around his chest. Oh, you could do better than high maintenance. I'm I'm trying to think of like a may the force be, but I don't I don't know. Yeah, may I, the Schwartz be with you. May the Schwartz. <laughs> I, right. I think I think Mel Brooks has been there. Uh, speaking of famous Jews, from Mel Brooks to Anne Frank, her copyright expired in Europe uh, after seventy years uh, this past week. So 
They've added her dad to the copyright so that what? So that other pe- so that renegade editions of Anne Frank can't circulate. Well, they they came out. This is this is you know a bit more elaborate than that. They came <laughs> out and claimed, "Hey, we have a brand new discovery that her dad was her co-author." By the way, this has nothing to do with the fact that copyright just expired and he died in the eighties. So we could you know have this baby because for in another... Europe copyrights expire seven years after the author's death, and I think we're at this like weird point now where. The copyrights on like Holocaust era books are expiring. Like it, it's sort of like another reminder that like actually this is getting really really far away. Um, but like, I think we'll always just be like fighting over Anne Frank for some reason this, or another. As we said last week, I still never read the Diary of Anne Frank. Look, it has a new co-author. Is it good? Like if I read it, I don't want to spoil it as for a forty-one-year-old. Yeah, do you know how it no. ends? I think. <laughs> She, she goes on book I tour. I really enjoy it because she you go have on book young tour? daughters. And I think if we take the, I mean, like we were talking about last week, like the young woman aspect of the book and we don't read it as like a, a Holocaust historical novel, you can sort of see it as this young girl's, you know. I think it's hilarious that you said because I have young daughters, I'll enjoy it. One would think because I have young daughters, I would never want to well, read this book. Well, you'd be more attuned to like what's going on in her head. I mean, it's... Do you have an attic in your house? We have a crawl space where okay. the heating system is. That's where the cat lives. I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if, if you're wondering, could we store a, a child there if the Fourth Reich comes? In New Haven. We could store a couple, but probably not all four of them. Okay. What oh, would you okay, do? Who would you hide? I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> I'd hide the ones who could keep quiet. I mean, really, like, that's what you have to do, right? I mean, there's no, there'd be no sense in putting Ellie yeah. up there because. I was about yeah. to say, sorry, Ellie. Yeah, she. <laughs> She's like the diversion, I feel like. Yeah, she would just have to. Although sort she of... could probably take on the Fourth Reich pretty much single handedly. She would pretty so... much take them down by herself. Yeah. Leah, where would you hide Lillian Hudson? I would not hide. Mark. Oh, they would, I would fight. Get firearms. They would. <laughs> as would my children, and they would all go down in a blaze of glory. Well, that brings us to our third bit of news of the Jews, which is uh, La France. And what happened in Paris? Vive la France! Vive la France! And I will be the first to say, and, and I'm not, I'm not the gun toter or the Uber Zionist on this show. That'd be Stephanie Butnick. That'd be Stephanie Butnick in both cases. But uh, I did think, how does one phrase this? Um, when I read about the concert where there were many hundreds or a couple thousand people there, and three armed terrorists took out dozens of them. Um, and weren't taken out themselves until the soldiers arrived. And I did have that thought. If there were a few people with guns here, or if there were just some soldiers here, some people, if there were people, if this were a citizen ar- army, if this were a country where everyone did service, there's no way they would have carried on as long as they did. And you read those lines in the in the paper about how it went on for, what, five minutes, 10 minutes, and with them just reloading and taking people Longer out. than that. They reloaded four times. Mark Oppenheimer, my work here is done. I could quit this podcast now. I know. It's I, very weird to I've see this. Done, I've this... done everything I should do. I mean, well, maybe you could texture that and nuance. I mean, have I just become Liel Leibowitz? Am, uh, I, yes. am I voting Likud? And I, and, I, and I congratulate you for it, but I think you're precisely right. Do you right. get your gun? Do you, is this when you present him with his own gun? Either. In <laughs> a secret ceremony after I mean, the podcast. Since no, I need no training or registration <laughs> in America, actually, you could just hand over your little holster gun and I could have it. Here's, here's one of the things that is really weird for me. You know, reading accounts, and, and I, I don't want to sound like, you know, more of a blowhard than I am, but... A lot of people who, who I understand were well-meaning people said something in the last three, four days, something along the lines of, well, you know, now they're shooting like innocent French civilians. It's not like they're, you know, targeting Jews or something. 
which is really very weird. Like, we're some kind of legitimate target. I mean, do you feel this Are way? people saying that? Yeah. I completely agree. And I saw it in my own newspaper. I saw an article that talked about, you know, um, this is even bigger and more monumental than the attacks on the kosher butcher and also the attacks on Charlie Hebdo. And it's like... You know, the attacks on the kosher butcher were part of a Europe-wide wave of anti-Semitic violence that killed Jews. And to say, like, well, now all of France should be afraid. And I saw it in other, I think, I don't think any media outlet was immune. I saw it everywhere. Right. It's like that famous joke, you know, you know who's to blame for World War One? No, who? The Jews and the bicyclists. Why the bicyclists? Yeah, exactly. It, it's a canary in the coal mine. And it's, it's disturbing. And we don't want to be like, you know, this is all about us, by the way. We've been saying this forever. But it did start in a very pointed way and now it's expanded to like a really big war on on civil on western I mean, civilization. To, I completely agree with this. You know, to be fair, most people are indifferent to most things that don't affect themselves, oh, definitely. right? So I don't want to say everyone who didn't care yeah. when it was only the Jews is an anti-semite. I'm not I saying want to people say... didn't care even. I'm just saying it's interesting if you watch this progression of this was, you know, that was months ago and now we're seeing what seems to be like the next step of that. The ridiculous thing is now they're saying something like, oh, now they're killing innocent people because, you know, the Charlie Hebdo people, they, they made a choice to offend the prophet. Jews the Jews made a, made a choice to be Jews and therefore be completely legitimate targets. But now, could you believe it? In the 11th arrondissement, they're shooting innocent Any civilians. Any human being who just wants to see an American band or a soccer match with Germany could get killed. I yeah. mean. And the idea is that you're risking your life basically by going into a kosher supermarket. And maintenant, nous sommes tous juifs. Oui, nous sommes tous juifs. Some love in the room. Yeah, I'm like, oh, get some I think. Bacheva Marcus, Orthodox sex therapist, is going to be coming in in a moment, but not before I tell you about our two live tapings coming up. December 15th at the Washington, D.C. JCC. We will be live. I mean, we'll be recording it. But in front of in front of you, tickets are on sale at WashingtonDCJCC.org. Our Gentile guest will be Catholic writer Elizabeth Brunig, who writes for The New Republic. We actually haven't booked our Jewish guest yet. And if anyone has some ideas, you know, email us. Do you know Jews in D.C.? Do you know Jews? Mark is asking. Are there Jews in Washington? Are there Jews in Washington? Reach out. Tell uh, us who you'd like to hear. January 25th, we'll be at the American Hebrew Academy in Greensboro, North Carolina. They are at AmericanHebrewAcademy.org. Is your Jewish child uh, growing up without great Jewish pride in a small town in New England or the Midwest or the South, and you want to surround him or her with fellow Hebrews, American Hebrew Academy might be for you. Um, Our Jewish guest today is the legendary Batsheva Marcus. The New York Times Magazine has called her the orthodox sex guru, and she co-runs the Medical Center for Female Sexuality with offices in Westchester and Manhattan. I'm Long Island now. There are three of them? There are three of them. Fair enough. Okay. Um, so welcome. I'm so happy to be here. I'm such a big fan. And you have your own podcast. We do. Where can people find it? Uh, it's called uh, The Joy of Text, and it's a new... <laughs> Liel <laughs> does not like puns. Jewish public media. I wasn't crazy about the name either, but don't tell anybody. Jewish public media, and it's about orthodox... It's about Judaism and sex. Okay. Is what it is. It's me and a rabbi. Okay. Head of a rabbinical school. So um, what's the hardest case you've dealt with lately? Give us, a, give us an example of the kind of case that comes into your office, and talk to us about a, a thorny one. Um, so... 
I think the hardest cases are always when women come in, come in having no desire to have sex. Um, do you want a specifically Jewish case? What no. You um, so, you know, the question is always kind of like, I always say when patients come in, it's kind of like a bowl of spaghetti that they dump on my plate, you know, on the plate. And I have to sort of pulling away the strands. You know, do you not, ha- is sex not great for you? I can use every word I need, right? Because I heard Dan Savage on here. So I am like oh, you're so good. tame. Okay, yeah. so fine. So you use okay. Santorum as much as possible. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so... Um, yeah, so then we're trying to separate. Like, is it the is it the is it the the problems that you're having with orgasm, which are making you not enjoy sex, which make you want not want to have sex, or do you have great sex and you still don't want to have sex? Um, and if that's the case, why? And everything we look at is kind of separating out the medical and the psychological, which is really what makes us unique. Because I do not believe, really do not believe, that every sexual problem is in women's head. It drives me insane when I hear that. I think hormones. I think there's medication issues. I think there's a a million things that get in the way. And so we look at all of them. Um, one that I saw last week, which I, you know, we're working on, um, is that her, you know, and I hear this, this is why I'm laughing a little bit, I hear this a lot, like, the husband is too kind and gentle. And although she loves him to pieces and is glad that she's her husband, you know, her best sex is with the motorcycle guy she dated in college. And so we're trying to sort of, that. I think that's really not so unusual. How do you and solve I think, that problem? You, I'll tell you, one of the ways we try to solve the problem is helping her either see her husband in a different light, like sometimes, you know, sometimes just going to work and watching your husband in a different environment. The other thing is helping him find his... Like everybody has a man sound, you know. Like she his said, inner Harley she, you know, rider. Runs, she said, you know, it's funny. It was we were talking about. It. She said, you know, it's so funny. Like six months ago, he was really angry. It was the first time I've ever seen him angry in the, like the three years we've been married, and I was so turned on. And then he was furious because men are spending their lives now trying to be, you know, the kinder, gentler version of themselves. So some do. Okay. <laughs> well, I think it's probably better for relationships if they find their kinder, gentler part of themselves. Wouldn't the first bit of recommendation there be like a little role playing? Like tell him to, I mean, she has to go watch him, you know, so, file so tax audits at the accountant's office? Yeah, I, I, I honestly, I hate to say this. So, so role playing works for some people, but in some cases, when the guy's pretending to be, yeah. you know, the Harley guy, it's just as laughable. Mm-hmm. Like Can that's not really. It doesn't really turn. That's why when she said he was angry, when he was really legitimately angry, like sex is really about getting into the essentials of the human being. In the end, that's what it's all about. And so to pretend, you know, to be the rapist. I hate to use that term. No, there are people. Have, there are people of rape um, fantasies. So a lot of people have rape fantasies, and I feel like it's so in our society we're so bad at separating what reality is from you know from from fantasy. Like it drives me crazy. Like women don't want to have rape fantasies because they feel like somehow it's saying they want to be raped. But let's look at that. Like who's controlling that rape fantasy? You're creating the raper. He looks exactly like what you want. He's saying exactly what he does. Exactly what you want. He stops exactly what you want. So it's the, it's the absurdity that we've just melded the two in our society that having fantasies is no longer okay. I am going to get so much hate mail after this <laughs> podcast. Okay, anyway. No, you, our, our listeners are lovers, not okay, fighters. So right. are you, do you see of the Orthodox population, are you seeing women who just like have a lot of kids? I mean, like what 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 sort of is the typical patient? So I hate to say there's no typical, but I will say that for the most part, we have women who had just no experience and have no idea what they're even trying to get at, right? If you haven't seen Gone with the Wind, right? If you don't haven't seen Rhett Butler sweep her up the stairs, you don't even have like a 
something to put. They don't have like a, a library of possible slides to, exactly. to pull the slideshow. Exactly. They need a slideshow. They don't know. They they don't know what they're even aiming for, and that's what gets kind of really tricky. So it's a lot of education in those cases. Yes, a lot of them have a lot of children, um, but um, you know. To what? solve that problem, you, you you've enlisted a relative, right, to 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 try and write sort of super soft core Haredi. Yeah, porn. it didn't go work well. But what's super soft core Haredi porn? It's like? more like it was more like a romance story with a lot of sensuous touches. It did not work. So now one of my staff members actually actually wrote. Um, much more heavily sexual stories, but having to do with couples. Because to, to, one of the pushbacks I get from give rabbis... Give some lines. You know, oh, he gazed geez. meaningfully in her eyes. Well, that would be in the soft... No, I don't want to go there. That's ridiculous. But it has to be couples, because otherwise... Well, so I got some pushback from a rabbi I was talking to, and he said, can't you... I understand that you need to give these women porn, because I do give them erotica, right? Porn, erotica. And he said, can't you find any that has, like, couples in it at least? And the truth is we couldn't. We really looked. Like, you found any couple's porn was so crazy out there and kinky, which is fine, but just not what we were looking for. But there was a moment where, according to a friend of mine who browses the Internet, a lot there was uh, there was yes. orthodox porn and as far as I could tell it was just like straight porn except that they they removed the talit uh, and katan and, 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 like, except the undergarments were slightly right. different right exactly there you go so so you know so somebody on my staff actually ripped off she, she went on and found some good erotic stories and she just remelded them she stole them essentially she and renamed she, the guys she renamed Mendel. both of them she had them going away for their honeymoon you know it's like <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> the wedding it the started. The kosher porn. <laughs> it started at Leonard's of Great Neck. Exactly. Proceeded to Boca. <laughs> I love it. So to bring it back to Judaism, I know that's not sort of the focus of what you're doing but in your practice, but I think there is a lot that we could sort of learn from you. Judaism isn't as weird as other religions are about sex, right? Like we're more open about it. Okay. I would really disagree okay. with that. Actually, very vehemently. I think, first of all, there isn't a strand of Judaism, right? So I always, you know, Judaism <laughs> is, you know, and I, I, it makes me angry when I hear people say that. Not at you, not at all. But it's okay. Um, it's okay. So, okay. You can be angry. No, at her. I just feel like Judaism, if you look through the text, there is such a wide variety. And that's really where our podcast, I think, is really helpful because I think what we're trying to do is find the voices in Judaism in the Jewish texts that seem to be more sex positive, what I'd call more sex positive. So, um, so, but I don't, you know, this idea that, you know, Christianity is sex negative and Judaism is sex positive, I, I feel like it's a little bit of a straw man. Like some of sex, some of Jewish texts are super sex negative and some of them are actually lovely and sex positive. So we're trying to find that. That's number one. But when you look at the day-to-day workings of how like sex in a married couple's life of an Orthodox couple, it's way more restricted and much more like gated than any other religion including the Muslim is because, religion. Is it because sex is to make children? Like, is that because... I don't know why it was because I think, honestly, I'd like to think it's because they realized how powerful sex really is. And I really do think, like, sex, it is such a fundamental piece of who we are. And and so the more something is fundamental to your essence, the more, I think, religion likes to get involved. You know, I'm always joking around that, you know, the Orthodox community or the Jewish community in general or actually the whole community is always so worried about what's going on for the 15 to 22 year olds. You're like, oh, my God, what are they doing? 15 to 25 year olds. Who are they sleeping with? How are they doing it? Are they hooking up? Okay, 
Nobody's paying attention to the 25-year-olds, to 85-year-olds, who we want to have good sex lives for their whole life, right? Because it's an important part of life. It's important about making them feel good. And it's an important part of keeping relationships strong. And so why is all this emphasis on these, like, ridiculous 10 years and nobody seems to be paying attention to the later years? And that, honestly, is a critique I have in the Orthodox community as well. Like, let's spend some of this energy helping people have a good sex life. It's complicated to keep a good sex life in a long-term monogamous relationship. It's possible, but it's hard. It's work. And, and I guess you can tell I feel passionately about it, and I'm going to shut up do now. Some of, do, do, what do you think of, of, uh, of the poly movement? Should they go poly? Should some of them take a little something on the side or bring a third in? So or... I have some patients who are in the lifestyle. That means they swim. They, you know, they... That is one of my favorite euphemisms in the world. In the in, lifestyle? In the lifestyle. In the lifestyle. <laughs> okay, they're in the lifestyle. Bam. So um, so for some of them, it works really well. It is really complicated. I mean, it is. Like, think about A lot of contracts here. and negotiations. Yeah, I mean, I, look, my husband and I have a lot of trouble finding another couple that we're like to be friendly with where all four of us get along. So can you imagine, <laughs> you know, can you imagine, you know what I'm saying? Like you want to be attracted but not too attracted. Yeah, now we have to threatened. sleep with the Goldbergs. I, I <laughs> you think it's a joke? Just so you know, there no. are like, you're at, you meet some of these, uh, some of these Dinner people. Dinner is hard and, enough. And, 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 you know, and, 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 and like, you know, you have to be attracted but that person gets jealous. So is, <laughs> I imagine like, I, whenever I see like my dentist out, like not that it happens often, I, but like I don't know I, where I, this I can't is going. Me either. I'm like my two. Like, are people coming up to you and just like yes. everywhere you go asking you yes. questions? Well, I don't see my dentist out Stephanie, there. Well, she's okay. like my a family it's friend. That you compare up. me to a dentist, but yes, okay. So I will say two things. My husband has a joke. We go out to your dinner husband's or something. the optometrist. My husband, the optometrist, yeah. who is to a be clear. straight. I have a question as, for him. Okay, yes, as straight. Like he is just conservative, <laughs> straight. He's hysterical. Like the fact that we're together makes people crack up. So he said, "We're at a we're at a party." dinner party or anything and people ask me what I do and I tell them and there's one of two reactions either that's all anybody talks about for the next two hours or they're like oh so anybody see those Yankees and they change you <laughs> so you can just it's very funny <laughs> now I, I've met your kids you I can, have amazing children. and are they weird with this they are awesome with this. They are amazing. When that New York Times piece came out, somebody was laughing because my daughter was like so excited. She was she, taking all around high school, showing it to the principal, like, "Oh, my mom! Look at my mom!" But, um, yeah, they're they're great. I, I mean, I think it, they have a little bit of a skewed perspective about the world's attitude towards sex because they grew up in a bubble. But so really let me ask you, let me ask you one, one more question. Um, so. Secular people too, who, who are steeped in in sex and sexual culture, also have you know their share of of misperceptions and and misconceptions. Is there anything that we may be able to learn from from our more Haredi brothers and sisters about how to treat sex right? Like 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 Nida, right? Like some people say, that, not having sex around the time of your period when you come together again, you've had or even ten like or, more spiritual. You've had you know, ten or twelve days yes, off. Yes, I, I mean I do really believe that if you can be in a monogamous relationship for a long time and work on your sex life, that it will allow you to have better sex for your life. I just do. I think, look, all the all the studies, every data, piece of data suggests that married people have more sex than single people. It's a little bit astonishing. Give us right? three tips for our listeners in long-term committed monogamous relationships who want to make this better. Three tips. Okay, yes. one, sex does not equal intercourse, okay? There are many ways to have sex. Intercourse is just one of them, okay? So that's... One, two, um, vibrators are not kinky sex toys. They are your friend. Okay. So embrace them. And three, um, sex should be fun. Like you should, you know, it's not, shouldn't be this big, heavy thing. Oop, can I give a fourth? Yes. Yes. 
planned sex. You need to have plan to have sex. This uh, sex should be spontaneous Amen. thing. This is probably, is probably an app for that. Ridiculously Amen. absurd. I have a long running conversation with a friend of mine who thinks that the only good sex is spontaneous, and then he wonders why he doesn't have much of it. There you go. There you go. I always say to people, if you want to have like a dinner party, you need to invite the people, chop the vegetables, cook the food, like that. You know, if you want to have a foursome with the Goldbergs, you, <laughs> you invite the Goldbergs. You need to see plan that out. But you know what? And I find that the couples like that I see restaurant. who do have long term sex lives, they have they have scheduled sex, whether they are aware of it or not. Like I'll say to them, oh, so when they'll say, oh, we always do it like on to the weekend, or you know, sometimes during the week, every three days. Don't go by. They have something going on, even though they're not aware of it. Modern <laughs> Family, a Domino's Pizza, uh, and, and yes, yeah. intercourse. Yes. And, or not intercourse. And or not intercourse. And put your kids, get some babysitting, you yeah. know, make sure you make... You have a lot of kids. There are a lot of you kids. You need yes. to, like... I mean, a lot. By so, You have clients with more kids than I do, I Bacheva, do. So. I do. I do. Yeah. Bacheva Marcus, <laughs> co-host of The Joy of Text, thank you for coming. I mean, thank you for being here. Thank you. Such a pleasure. (laughs) Thank you. Will you come back sometime? I will come back anytime you want. By the way, folks, looking for a cool Hanukkah gift? The print magazine is out. It's it's just stunning, and the stuff in it is not available online. It's $40 for six issues. It's stuff that's print only, including Anne Frank manga, an article on Miami Jews and the birth of cool, and a lot more. If you want it, this is it. You can do it right now. You text TABLET to 66866. That's text TABLET to 66866. I I really promise you, you will love it. I think it's a stunning, um, old school, beautiful, beautifully produced print magazine. And now our world famous feature, Gentile of the Week. Mallory Ortberg grew up in Illinois and California. She's the daughter of John Ortberg, who is a big cheese evangelical pastor. We're going to talk about just how big cheese he is. She's a writer, the co-founder of the online literary magazine, The Toast. And as of this week, she is the new writer of Slate.com's advice column, Dear Prudence. Hi, Mallory. Hi, guys. How are you? Oh, wonderful. I'm doing really well. How are you guys? Good. Uh, So congratulations on the new gig. Thank you. So, um, Mallory, we're, we're so, so grateful and so excited that you're here. We have a million questions for you. A million. But before we do, oh, wow. um, so when, 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 when some of our listeners heard you were here, uh, one of them in particular said she absolutely had to talk to you and ask you a very pressing question. Uh, hello, caller, who are you? Dear Prudence, I'm not comfortable using my real name, so I'm going to use my Hebrew name which I know you've discussed on this show before. This is Surah Chaya, and I'm calling because I have a problem that I'm hoping you can help me with. My husband has recently started a Jewish podcast, and the problem is that it's really terrible. It's just not funny at all. His co-hosts, well, I like the female one. She's got this thing for cats, and I do too, so I like her. But the other one, I mean, he is just a blowhard. And my husband, I mean, he's a wonderful man, but he, he's just really not a public speaker. And he keeps asking me if I like it. And I can't keep putting him off with excuses that I haven't been able to listen because I've been taking care of the kids or getting out of cash or anti-anxiety medication. And eventually he's going to catch on. So how can I tell him this without breaking his heart? Wow, Carla, that's, that's a really... Uh... <laughs> Un, un, unnamed caller from uh, New Haven, Connecticut. <laughs> uh, dear Prudence, how, how would you advise this woman whose husband has a terrible, unfunny, lame Jewish podcast, which he thinks is great? 
I mean, what did you expect? All podcasts are kind of a chore. That's very true. <laughs> to listen to or to make? A little bit of both. We all, we all have at least eight people in our lives who are sort of like, I just started a podcast. Won't you listen to it? And all of us feel sort of burdened at the prospect, but you just smile and say, it sounds great. Tell me about it. And that's how the social contract keeps itself going. Secret caller, you have four kids, you know, <laughs> just just pretend you like the damn thing. Secret caller, um, what's for what's for dinner tonight? <laughs> <laughs> Mallory, okay, well, secret caller, thanks for calling in. Thanks for having me. Bye bye. Are you are you partnered, Mallory? And there's a reason I'm asking this. I am not. I have an old dog and an old cat, um, and that's that's enough for me. If you were partnered, would you? What obligation would you feel your partner has to read, dear Prudence? Whoa. Oh, good God. Wow. I, I would say little to none. I would appreciate it if on the first day they told me good luck. But um, I write a lot. I write a lot every day. If I were with somebody and they felt like they had to read everything I wrote, I don't think they would get a lot else done. So let me ask you a question about, about stuff you, you write. Um, you know, before Dear Prudence and Still, you're, 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 you're a toast. You are a toast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, in case some of our readers don't know this amazing website, which I read regularly, uh, here's, here's a random recent post you wrote. Uh, I'll just read the headline. Outrageously over-the-top compliments clunkily inserted into Chrétien de Troyes' romance to impress his patrons. This isn't exactly the stuff you'd expect anyone but, you know, nerdy librarians to want to read. And you have, like, more than a million readers. How do you explain the popularity of such a, you know, distinctly literary site? Aren't well, there, luckily not for me, there are a lot of librarians. Uh, like a million? The question is, aren't, aren't we supposed to be dumb now? Aren't we supposed to not read anything about Cartier de Troyes anymore? And, 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 and if so, oh. how do you keep people no, coming back for that stuff? So. I mean, I, we're certainly not pulling in like BuzzFeed numbers because we are a very niche site. Um, but there's definitely enough people who are, you know, like former classics majors or just people who like reading jokes about chivalric literary tropes um, that we manage to keep the lights on. <laughs> it's, and it's not all, in, you know. In my defense, it's not all Cretien Detroit's jokes. You know, I, you don't have to make, defend <laughs> what no, that it were. We're I mean, in. Jokes, we're so. all in. We're all in. So you wrote a best-selling book dedicated to imagining what classic literary figures might have sounded like had they had a smartphone and were into texting. Who in the Western canon would have been the best texter? Um, I, I have to. Whenever I get asked this question, I always end up having to go with. Uh, King Lear, because I think he was the definitive kind of person who needs to check in to make sure how much everyone likes him at any given moment. Like, he'll, he won't just ask, like, are we close? But he'll be like, would you consider you and I closer than all of your other friends? And, like, how would you rank us exactly? And what kind of metaphor would you use? So I think he would be the best in the sense that he would be the most entertaining for me to imagine because he would just create social nightmares for his friends. Emojis would have helped that guy. <laughs> Yeah. So um, your dad is uh, a megachurch pastor. I think megachurch is anything 2,000 and up, and he gets 4,000 people on a Sunday. Is that right? That's crazy to me that 2,000 and up is a megachurch, because we grew up in a huge church in the Midwest with, you know, tens of thousands of members. Wait, so, so actually, you feel like 2,000 is just bupkis. It's like chump change. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I grew up in New England. members, I'm like, oh, in, in, oh, a mega, in a mega synagogue, you know, right. 30 people and up is a mega synagogue. I, 
God, Protestants have such a, their expectations are so high. It's like, yeah, right. It's, there are there aren't there aren't ten synagogues in the country that have welcome 2, to members. America, Mark. <laughs> as many synagogues as there are librarians. Clearly. About about and, and probably the same people too. So, um, you know, your dad is. Um, I think he would be. You know, I know this world a little bit. He would be seen as a a moderate mainstream evangelical, right? He's not a fundamentalist. Oh, um, golly, yes. But within evangelicalism, he's not like where Tony Campolo has ended up in terms of supporting gay marriage and things like that. I mean, he's he's pretty traditional, right? Um, I, I wouldn't call, I mean, I can't speak for dad, obviously. Uh, but like I would say, you know, he and I are really close. You know, when I came out to my parents, they were wonderful. Obviously, it was a surprise to them in the sense that they weren't um, planning on having a a queer kid, but they, you know, they brought flowers when they met my first girlfriend. Like they're both fantastic and super accepting. Um, Yeah. I would say they're both like on the, on the, you know, moderate to liberal side. I'm excited for your dear Prudence megachurch. Like I am so in, we are all, we will all join. (laughs) The problem is she won't just like the richness of the human tapestry. There's everything in there from like, Someone did something like someone stole my dog to like someone made a scene at my wedding to like to, my to coworker those, says the worst thing. Yeah, to those incestuous twins. I mean, who can forget? I'm optimistic because you're you seem very pro dog. You've mentioned dogs twice. But you're also pro or <laughs> cat. Are you pro yeah, or cat? No, I have I have both a dog and a cat, you guys. It's yeah, you're, you're perfect. You're, you're, you're you can perfect. have it all. Also, Mallory, uh, before we go, you have a world-famous panel of Jewish experts right here. Did you have any questions for us that we can answer about the chosen people? Yes, please. Um, you know, I, I grew up from a, a kind of Protestant background, and especially in North America, there's, you know, easily thousands and thousands of Protestant denominations. Every time somebody Protestant gets in a fight with somebody else, they split off and start a splinter group. And it seems like, at least in my own limited understanding, there's not that many different denominations within Judaism. Like, you have your three different kind of main traditions, but it doesn't seem like you guys pull up stakes and start a new synagogue every time you quarrel. I was wondering why you thought that was. Why do we have so many denominations? And you guys there, There's so many more so many. of you. We, we don't have the numbers. If we pulled up, If we pulled up stakes and, and just split off all the time, I mean, in my town, New Haven, there's like... You know, there's a few thousand Jews and like a, a few hundred of them go to synagogue. Well, so this, we that makes so much sense. We don't got the numbers. I disagree. I think every Jew is his or her own denomination. <laughs> yeah. Like that, that asshole sitting next to me in the pew in this year's synagogue is completely wrong about, you know, three major things. But the other... Oh, I think we're missing like the organizational skills to start a new denomination. Yeah, like the the stuff you grew up with at Willow Creek Church and stuff where they're they're so sharp about church planting and market testing and surveys and research. You'd think we'd be good at that because you probably think we're smart because that's a stereotype of Jews. But we're actually <laughs> terrible at that. We don't have any of that. Um, what else do you have? Do you have another question for us? Oh, I had a second question that was really embarrassing and I feel like it's just going to really highlight how aggressively Gentile my upbringing was. But can you guys explain to me, what is the difference between lox and just cold salmon? Is it just cold salmon? Lox is smoked salmon. So I guess it is cold salmon, but it's not like sushi salmon. Okay, but so there's nothing that would differentiate it from just, like it's just a a word for smoked salmon. There's nothing they do to it to loxify it. I think it's German. I think L-A-C-H-S is German for salmon. I mean, I think it's Yiddish, the Yiddish word for salmon. We're going to get so much mail on this. There are so and many smoked. people who are going to send us emails. So like, we can't believe you. Ble-. No, it shows how aggressively Gentile and assimilated we are that we don't just lower the boom. No, with an but it also just shows that like I've never even really considered Lux. It's just always there. 
It's you like just, in our tablet office every day. Or you just wake up Sunday morning in a Jewish home and it's just there. Like 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 Hanukkah Harry just delivers it so you don't have to seek it out. But that is a good question. I'm gonna look into that. Yeah. No, I, I think it's Yiddish for Sam, but I think it's I think it's cut thicker. But you know what? The truth is we're just we're just bloviating. We're gonna find out for you. We'll have an exact answer. We'll have an exact answer. We'll ask Russ and daughters <laughs> yeah. for some rabbinic guidance here. Mallory, thanks so much for joining us and congratulations on the new gig. Thanks for having me guys. Okay. It's time for our Mazel Tovs of the week. Stephanie, what you got for us? My Mazel Tov is to my parents. Um, I don't know if you remember, but we had their dog died a few weeks ago. Mark cut me off while I was mourning. I was mourning mid mid podcast a he's few episodes heartless. ago. Yeah, he's heartless. But they got a new puppy, and I'm so excited for them. And he's so cute. And I've already Instagrammed him, so he exists. And his name is Teddy. So congrats, guys. Leah Leibowitz. Well, mine is to my beautiful wife, Lisanne Sandell, who's celebrating her birthday uh, this week. And she's still with me for some blessed reason. How many years has it been? Uh, it's, it's been? It's been some years. It's, it's been, been some, more married, than a decade. You married young. I did. Yeah. yeah. Um, my Mazel Tov is to Ophira Eisenberg, one of our first guests whom we, whom we ever had on the show. Uh, she came in very large and pregnant. We talked about the ethics of touching a woman's belly without her permission. And um, she gave birth to a, a young Jewish boy named Lucas who uh, will join all the other Lucas, Lucases, and... Uh, at the Minion. Jadens and Brooklyns at the Minion that is Brooklyn. And we wish her a huge Mazel Tov. Ophira Eisenberg, host of NPR's Ask Me Another. We love mail. If you have thoughts, comments, praise, or questions for our panel of experts, send them to unorthodox at tabletmag.com. They might end up on the air. Unorthodox is a production of Tablet Magazine, produced by Julie Subrin, with superior assistance from Sarah Ivory. Our rabbinic supervision this week is by Rabbi Barry Block of Little Rock, Arkansas. The kosher slaughtering is by Naftali Hanau, the ethical kosher butcher of Brooklyn. Our website is tabletmag.com, and our music is by Golem. To get our newsletter, shoot an email to unorthodox at tabletmag.com, and just ask for it. Shalom Chavirim. Peace, friends.